Welcome to Casting Hope, a sermon podcast of Hope Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Ohio. My name is Joe Hack, lead pastor at Hope, and we are so glad you're listening in wherever you are. In this moment of social distancing, we hope that our audio and streaming resources meet you where you are at and help you stay connected to God and to His promises. Off a new sermon series exploring the cross of Jesus. Uh, some of you might be thinking right now, wait a second, didn't we just celebrate Easter last week? <laughs> so, what on earth are you thinking? And you'd be on to something. Uh, it is strange to focus on the cross of Jesus the week after Easter. I'll just name it. Uh, so, this morning actually is probably my job to convince you. That spending our spring and our summer on the cross of Jesus is a good idea. And more than that, I want you to actually share my excitement for this series. And the way we're going to start is by reading an astonishing claim from the Apostle Paul. So he is writing in 1 Corinthians to a young church in ancient Corinth. If you know anything about Corinth, this church was full of really polished people. And so the folks in Corinth loved hearing exciting ideas packaged in exciting ways and in slick presentation. It's how we love well-produced podcasts. It's how we love a good TED Talk. But the Apostle Paul, who knew how to give a slick presentation, by the way, comes to Corinth with a totally different approach. And what he says about the centrality of the cross will be setting up for us our exploration in the coming months. So let's just read verses 1 through 5 of chapter 2. This again is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Let's read. I encourage you to follow along. We'll pray and we'll see what God has for us this morning. And I, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Imagine it, please. Imagine it. Weakness, fear, and trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And so, Lord, with the words of my mouth, with the meditation of all of our hearts here this morning, be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Holy Spirit, would we encounter the risen Jesus, even as we consider this cross. In Jesus' name we pray. As a child, I didn't just go to a church, I went to a high church. Do you know what I mean by that? We had smells and bells. Do you think we have liturgy here? I'm I'm here to say, not really. Uh, It means that we had a cross-processional as well, if you know what that is. It's when it's somebody's job to carry a cross up the aisle, the beginning of the service, and down the aisle at the end of the service. And well, from time to time, that person was me. Oh. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Uh, The fancy title for this is a crucifer. That is intense. Uh, I was a crucifer. And so I knew, even as a kid, that the cross was somehow central to what Christianity is. 
But unfortunately, even though I carried the cross, even though I literally stood under the cross, I did not understand the cross. The cross can be like the car that we drive every day. Most of us depend on our car. We live in a car-centered culture. None of us would be here if cars suddenly disappeared. Some of you would, and you run marathons. <laughs> Most of us wouldn't. So we depend on our cars. But we don't know how they work. <laughs> Matthew Crawford, he's an author, he's like, there's a hood in our cars, but there's also a hood under the hood of our cars. And many of us do not have access to that hood under the hood. Years ago, I checked out a book from the library written by Click and Clack, the Tappet Brothers. Remember them? <laughs> the Car Talk House, best radio show ever, wrote a book to teach readers about what was under their hood. The assumption of this book is that none, and, and actually the radio show too, is that none of us actually know what's going on underneath the hood of this thing that we rely upon so deeply. And I think the same is true in the church. As a church, we can be cross-centered, we can be cross-dependent, we can be cross-shaped, but we may not know how to answer the question, how does the cross work? Or, I know that it saves, but how? And also, what difference does the cross make in my life? Well, for the next few months, I want to try and carefully answer this question. And here's why. It seems to me the Bible wants us to answer this question. The Bible wants us to grasp not just that the cross saves, but how the cross saves. God, I think, clearly wants his people to understand this. But, here's an important one. Not in a way that removes mystery. Not in a way that pretends to be 100% complete, either. Theologian Josh McNall calls this the tension between mystery and mechanism. Mystery and mechanism. There's mystery in the Bible about the cross and so many other things, and yet much of the Bible seeks to explain the cross too. And yes, even its mechanics. He points out to how the Bible honors both mystery and mechanics. And that we need both. I mean, just consider Paul's letter to the Romans, for instance. Uh, one of, so on the one hand, this letter to the Roman church is one of the most mechanical letters we have in the Bible. It unpacks the mechanics of the good news of Jesus in ways that no other letter does in our New Testament. It seeks to inform us, in other words, of how the gospel works, not just that it works, or that it is good news. Why is it good news? And how is it good news? And yet, in chapter 11 of the same letter, Paul throws up his hands, not in, not in exasperation, but he throws up his hands in seeming praise. And he says these words, Oh, how great are the riches and wisdom and knowledge. How, and catch this word, impossible is it for us to understand his decisions and his ways. As John Calvin put it so many hundreds of years ago, the Bible is God speaking baby talk to his people. But even God's baby talk is accurate. 
And God speaks it because he wants us to know some things about himself and, yes, about the cross of Jesus. Why? He wants our worship. And when we grow in our understanding of the cross of Jesus, we grow in our praise of Jesus, we grow in our love of him and of others. This both and mystery and mechanism is crucial. And it's going to be our guide. It's going to be our framework. It's going to be even our posture as we study the cross in the coming months. We want to look under the hood of the cross, but we want to leave plenty of room for mystery and worship. And so it's good to explore the cross. God invites us to do this. And that's reason enough for us to explore in the next few months. But I'm also excited to study and to walk through this with you all because I do believe we are in a unique time as a church in America. I see some unique reasons And in my mind, there are three. Our cross is too small. Our cross is too confusing. And our cross seems too irrelevant. This morning, I want to spend the rest of our time on the first observation, that that our cross tends to be too small. But before we do that and dig in deeper, I want to touch on the other two. For some of us, I think we carry around questions about the cross. And maybe we don't know what to do with them. Or perhaps these are your friends and neighbors. Or those you're dialoguing with about Jesus. Maybe we struggle with aspects of the cross, like his violence. Or some of the debates surrounding the cross. Maybe you burn out on the debates and the argument. And the political posture. Or maybe we wonder about the relevance of the cross. We sometimes ask ourselves, does the cross have anything to do with injustice? Does the cross have anything to do with my shame, with my addiction? What about the evil I see in the news? Does it have anything to do with that? How about this? How do other approaches to the world, other approaches to things like self-care or just getting along in this hard and difficult world, how does the cross differ from that? does it? Maybe we're asking some questions like this or other questions like it, but for all of us, I think our cross is too small. And that's what I want to spend some time on this morning. See, when we gather up all the scripture says about the cross of Jesus, we get a very big cross. But too often, I think we settle with only one or two features of the cross. One or two things that God says about it. And this makes our cross too small, but the cross of Jesus, friends, is much bigger. What do I mean? Well, across history, careful readers of Scripture have noticed at least, at least four major themes regarding the cross of Jesus. And you can frame them this way. Representation. Substitution. Victory. And imitation. And we're going to spend the next 12 or so weeks exploring each of these and more. Why? Because I want our cross to get bigger, not smaller. So what we want to do this morning is we want to just walk through these four that I mentioned and give you guys a bird's eye view just as a way of introduction before we dig in deeper in the coming weeks. 
So first, let's talk about representation. When you read the Gospels, you get the sense that Jesus is living as a representative. Don't you? Think about it. I mean, just consider his baptism. Sinless, he did not need to be baptized. And yet we find him in the Gospels standing in the water with sinners. Why? Think about the wilderness. The wilderness testing of Jesus. It's as if he is sort of reliving the Old Testament wilderness wanderings of Israel. And where Israel fails in their faithlessness and in their, uh, in their refusals to trust God's word. What do we see Jesus do? We see him succeeding. We see him, we see his profound faithfulness. And so there is a sense in both his baptism and in his wilderness testings that he is representing someone. That he is representing something. And this is why the Apostle Paul calls Jesus the second Adam. Where Adam and all of his children are faithless, Jesus is faithful. Amen? Jesus represents us in his life, but he also represents us in his death on the cross. This is why Paul again can say in Galatians 2 verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. Because Jesus represents him and all who believe in him on the cross. We are covenantally, yes, mysteriously, united to Jesus. His death is in a way our death. Like David of the Old Testament, when he defeats Goliath, who benefits? All of Israel. You know, as we read this story, as it's often been pointed out, often we find ourselves and we sort of immediately read this story as, what does this have to do with me? And we put ourselves in David's shoes and we say, okay, what giants must I slay in my life this week? Or in this season of life? But I think the way that the Bible encourages us to view that story is to, is to find ourselves located not in David, but in the crowd that's sitting on the hillside. Because in David's representation of all of Israel, his victory is our victory. He is representative, and so also Jesus. And he represents his people. Whenever the Buckeyes win, uh, those who live in Columbus and expats around Buckeye Nation say what words? We won. Yes, go back. So they say, we won. We won. We won. We won. Go to the barber shop and you say, I can't believe we won this weekend. We won again. We won again. We won again. I'm willing to bet none of you were on the field. So why are you saying we won? It's because they are representing you. And in a similar way, Jesus represents his people. I know the Buckeyes don't represent everybody here. Amen. Right? <laughs> That's where the analogy breaks down. All analogies break down. Okay? And we can be united in Jesus. Representation. Next is substitution. And this is probably the explanation of the cross that most of you might be most familiar with. Jesus died as my substitute. Because God is holy, my sin deserves judgment. 
And so on the cross, Jesus takes the judgment my sins deserve. He is a substitute. He dies in our place instead of us. So that Paul can say in Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. It is written, cursed is everyone who is hanging on a tree. And so on the cross, God, through Christ, takes the penalty, the lawful curse, instead of us. So that God can be both just and justified. That is substitution. Is that everything? No. That's not everything. The Bible says even more about the cross. There's representation, there's substitution, but it's also very clear there is a victory that happens on the cross. A sort of upside down, surprising, shocking, nobody would expect it. Supernatural, life altering, cosmos shattering victory on the death torture device of the Roman Empire. And the Latin phrase for this is Christus Victor. And all you have to do is read the book of Revelation to see how powerful of a theme this was to the early church. On the cross, Jesus defeats. Satan, supernatural dominions, and the stronghold of sin. Listen to how, again, Paul puts it in Colossians 2.13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. And so right now we're thinking of ourselves. And we're looking at our life and we're like, yes, we have a record of death. And it has legal demands. And this, Paul says, he set aside. God did nailing it to the cross. And what follows may surprise you in your ears. Paul says, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them on the cross. The cross of Jesus looks like defeat. But in a surprise, Jesus actually wins through his death. And not just because he rises again. His death itself is a victory. Why? Well, Paul just told us why. It's what Josh McDonald calls, quote, the accuser's right to condemn us has been vanquished. Satan is an accuser. He loves accusing. So if Jesus on the cross defeats all of his claim to accuse you, where's his mouth? Defeated. That's where it is. On the cross, Satan's dominion is uprooted. So the cross doesn't just absorb the penalty of sin, but the power of sin is cut at the root. And this victory of Jesus on the cross means that injustice and evil does not have the final say or word in this world. There's a victory. There's a victory to happen. Which take us, takes us to the fourth theme. Imitation, imitation. So many careful readers of the Bible also notice 
that the cross is more than just something that happened a long, long time ago, that the cross is more than what we've just talked about, but there seems to be a presentation of the cross as sort of the shape of our life. Sometimes you even read the scriptures and you wonder if the, the, those who are writing the scriptures, the early leaders of the church, were encouraging us to see the cross as a motivation. And so they develop this thing of imitation. Because Jesus was victorious on the cross, we know with the martyrs of Revelation that sometimes winning looks like cross-shaped losing in our faithfulness. We know that the way up is down, and so Paul can say in Philippians 2 this, Have this mind among yourselves, talking to the church, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And what did Paul say? Have this mind among yourselves. And we've been talking about what Paul's been saying about the cross all morning. He has a rather large cross because he's saying, yes, Jesus died as a substitute. Yes, Jesus died in victory. Yes, Jesus was your representative so that when we died, when he died, we died as well. But here he seems to also be saying, don't imitate the cross to be saved. Imitate the cross precisely because you are saved. He is your Savior. Now you can lay down your life. You have everything you need. In the power of the Holy Spirit, we are melted by the cross. Whenever we hear it preached, whenever we hear it proclaimed, our heart gets melted and we see an amazing display of God's love. And then when we connect that black of God's love was directly landing into our hearts, we ourselves have a new desire to imitate that life of sacrifice in the life of others. And that is imitation. It's mission. We serve others even at our great loss. This last theme is important because it means that the cross is not just something that we receive and then sit on, but the cross is, in a sense, the very shape of our life and the very engine of how we live. It has everything to do with how we're living today. Representation, substitution, victory, imitation, and more, they're all essential. They're like the four legs on a chair, the four legs on this piano. Or yes, the four corners of the cross. We need them all. And the problem is we only draw on usually one or two. And when we draw on one or two, the other themes suffer for it. And we can become out of balance. At the local Smoothie King, how do I know this? Because I go to Smoothie King <laughs> all the time. The Gladiator, that's their best smoothie. Chocolate, protein, banana, and peanut butter. That's for free. When you show up, they have two tip jars. And they print off, usually, pictures of celebrities. Who are having a hard time with each other. And they make you vote with your tip. It's really clever. It's really clever. So imagine just Superman and Batman. 
Like, where would you put your tip? That's a hard question. And that's how they get your tip. And that's often how we think about the cross. We think that there's these jars. And that sort of God is asking us, or culture is asking us, or church is asking us, to put our money in one of the jars, to the exclusion of the others. To make our vote count. What is your vote? It's one or the other one, but it can't be all of them. And in my prep for this series, I read a book and I referenced his name already, Josh McDowell, and the image that he uses is that of a body. And I love this image. He calls representation the feet, substitution the beating heart, victory the head, and imitation the hands. And just like a human body, they all interact with one another and need one another and depend on one another. And you may not know it yet, but all of you need all these things as well. You struggle with guilt. Like when you go about your day, is there a rock in your shoe about something? And you just never feel forgiven. Well, you need to hear about Jesus to substitute. Are you burning out this morning? Or past tense burnt out? You need to hear about Jesus the representative. He was not just a historical figure. He came to live as your representative. He is your life. His death is your death. His resurrection is your resurrection. He is your representative. You can rest. Are you overwhelmed with evil and injustice that you see or have experienced or are experiencing? I have a friend who sat through all of my sermons in the first few years of my ministry. And when we would get together, he would always say, Joe... I'm so glad you preached my guilt with the cross. But sometimes I also need to hear about the victory of Jesus over oppressors. I'm getting slandered at work. And I could use some Christmas victory in my life. If you struggle with how to respond to injustice against yourself or against others, you need to hear that God in Christ suffered the greatest injustice in history. And on the cross, that same evil injustice was defeated. Perhaps your life with God right now feels stale. Well, you need to hear that the cross itself is a summons. It is a summons to an invention of sacrifice. We are empowered by the Spirit to live cross-shaped lives. And what that looks like, we'll discover together. We all need this more than ever, I think, today. I read a story in Fleming Rutledge's book, The Crucifixion, about... The famous theologian of the cross, Jürgen Moltmann. He became a Christian while fighting as a teenager, consider this, in the Second World War. In Rutledge's words, 
He returned from war shattered. Complex trauma, confusion, profound guilt, shame, evil, disorientation. But apparently he and some others enrolled in seminary where she says, quote, his life was restored. No, this is him quoting, his life was restored by lectures on the crucifixion of all things. And that seems wrong, doesn't it? That seemed off. But I just want us to see this summer how that is exactly right. The cross of Jesus can restore you wherever you are at. Wherever you are at. This has been a brutal season for all of us in very unique ways. What if, just what if, what we need is to spend some time to live for us? So Lord, we come now. We submit this time to you. We submit the next few months to you. Would you heal our shattered hearts with your cross? And we ask this in your name, Jesus. Thanks for tuning in. For more information about our church and for more resources like this, visit our website at hopechurchcolumbus.org.